I am so glad to be here. You know, I think that Bill and his team have done such an amazing job uh, providing us with a series on the Holy Spirit. If you think about your walk with the Lord and the times you've come to church or Bible study, you know, we do a great job of talking about God the Father, His sovereignty, His creation, inspiration, revelation. I think we do just an admirable job of learning about Jesus and His birth, His life, His his death, his resurrection. And then we come to the Holy Spirit. I think that Francis Chan, who wrote a book a few years ago, aptly titled Forgotten God. And the subtitle was Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. I think there's something to that. And so Bill came along and said, hey, listen, let's do six, seven, eight weeks on who the Holy Spirit is and what he's done and what he's doing. And as, as we kind of land this series over this week and the next couple of weeks, I think that this message in particular regarding spiritual gifts is, is, is apt, put, put in the right place, appropriately slotted, because I think we needed all those messages that lead up to what we want to talk about this morning. And here's the, here's the reality. If you know Jesus Christ personally, this I don't say this because I'm speaking on this message. You need to hear this message because it applies to you. That the Holy Spirit has promised when you and I came into that moment of salvation, among everything else that was offered to us, including salvation and heaven, was given a, you were given a spiritual gift if not many spiritual gifts. And yet I agree with Dr. John MacArthur when he says perhaps no area of biblical doctrine has been more misunderstood and abused even, with, even within evangelicalism than that of spiritual gifts. And yet no area of doctrine is more important to the spiritual health and effectiveness of the church. And so, you know, perhaps the misunderstanding honestly lies in this reality that a substantial amount of Paul's writings uh, to Corinthians and Romans and to, to the church at Ephesus, Peter, uh, when he was writing in First and Second Peter, focus on spiritual gifts. And because of that, naturally, questions arise, including, well, what are the spiritual gifts? Who gave them? Who gets them? Right? Do I have one? And if so, which one or ones do I have? Is, is there a list? Is the list exhaustive? Can, can I change my gift if I don't like it? What am I supposed to do with these gifts? And then if we really drill down a little ways, we find that there's some controversy to this subject. Are all the gifts available today? And if not, which ones aren't? Does this mean that the gifts back then mean something that they didn't today? Are some gifts more important than others? Hey, what about those gifts that I've heard about with people prophesying or speaking in tongues or healing? Are those, are those legitimate gifts? Are they available today? And then before you know it, honestly, it's Monday. I've got to go to work. I've got to get stuff done. And I'm really no further along in this discussion. And so what I would like to do maybe today is to bring both some clarity to this topic and in doing so, honestly, folks, my heart of hearts is to move us from discussion to action. That, if, that if, if, if we could learn a few things in a few moments that would move us from not just knowing more, but actually applying what we know, I think the job will have been done then. So three encouragements, really three keys, if you will, for discovering your spiritual gift or gifts. Here's the first one, and that is we have to start with the Holy Spirit. We have to start with God, the Holy Spirit. So I'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 today. 
we'll bounce around to a few other passages, but if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you'll notice in verse 7, starting in verse 7 through 11, here's what Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to each one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, uh, and to another uh, faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. And in fact, if you go up a few verses in 1 Corinthians, Paul begins this particular discussion on the uh, gifts of the Spirit by saying there are a variety of gifts but the same Spirit. And then in verse 7, you'll notice the highlighted passage, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And, <clears throat> excuse me, in, in verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. And so this is a fantastic place to begin our discussion on the Holy Spirit, which is, we, we, God, we give you praise. Why? Well, think of it this way. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have given you a special gift. M meaning this, listen, if you came here this morning and you needed to feel loved, if you came here this morning and you needed to feel valued, if you came here this morning and you had a rough week and you just need to know I am worth something, I promise you, if you know Jesus personally, God, God the Father in Psalm 139, right? He formed you in your mother's womb. He is the architect of you. But that includes everything from birth order to disposition to personality, strengths, natural abilities. That's what it means to form you in your mother's womb. He took all of that into consideration. Then God the Son in Romans 8, Romans 9, Ephesians 1, and elsewhere said that I want to choose you before the foundations of the world to be a part of my family. And then God the Holy Spirit says on the moment that you become a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm going to import into you a gift, a special gift. And here's the reality. It's unique to you, not to the person sitting next to you, not to the person in front of you. He gave you a gift that's unique to you that makes you the best version of you. I find that amazing that God said, out of my love for you, I'm not just going to save you from sin and grant you heaven, but I'm going to give you purpose, this side of heaven, which intimately includes this gift I give you, but I'm going to wrap and intertwine this gift in all of these other things that make you, you. It, it, as a believer in Jesus, if I could put it another way, it will be impossible to live the best version of you without this spiritual gift or gifts. And so I believe it all begins by praising God the Holy Spirit in such a way that if we do it 
accurately, effectively, appropriately. There would be no need to write books like Forgotten God. Of course we would acknowledge God the Holy Spirit. How else would we do church effectively without praising him? So we start with the Spirit. But then the question is, well, why, God, Holy Spirit, would you give me these gifts? What is the purpose for you giving me a spiritual gift? And the answer is because I want you to be purposeful with people. The reason that you and I have spiritual gifts is to be purposeful with people. Now, and this is where, you know, perhaps we get it wrong here. Because we grew up in this country and, and we are kind of conditioned to figure everything out before we launch into something, I think that so many of us claim ignorance on this topic because, because we, we take, it's like when you were in high school and do you ever take these like aptitude tests and they tell you, I don't know if they're still doing them today, but back in the day you would take these tests and then you'd go sit with your guidance counselor, right? And he or she would tell you, these are your three career choices. At 17 years old, you're either going to be this, this, or this. And we'd walk out of those meetings thinking, you know, yay, because that, I know that makes a lot of money. Or we walk out thinking, who said that? Like, I don't, even, I don't even know how to spell that, let alone do I want to do that for the rest of my life. And what we do is we get to play judge and jury in that moment, right? We get to leave that office thinking, nice try, but that's not, you don't know me. And sometimes I feel like we do the same with spiritual gifts. We take these spiritual gift inventories or we take these assessments that we can find online and in 20 minutes outspits an answer and then we sit in the driver's seat and say, you know, I don't think so. God, I'm good. And what God is saying is, yeah, that's not the way we did this. God, the Holy Spirit didn't say, I'm gonna offer you five options of spiritual gifts. Here, just you know, pick. He said, I'm going to give you a gift that I've given to you purposely just for you. I, I, I teach at Valley Christian Schools and the other day I was in front of a bunch of students and I said, take out your phones and, um, and, and take this. Did you ever see this test, this one that gives you, you know, the four animals, right? If you haven't done it, you answer a bunch of questions about personality, teamwork, conflict, you know, how do I live life, basically. And after about 20 minutes, it just spits out this answer. You're an otter, or you're a beaver, or you're a golden retriever, or you're a lion. Now, I did this with 17-year-olds. When you look at those four pictures, honestly, what do you think most 17-year-olds want to be? I mean, most adults, right, look at that and think, I like golden retrievers, but I don't want to be one. And, all the, and, and, and so I ended up being a lion. Do you know how I became a lion? Because I knew the four options and I thought, well, when it asks me, when you walk into a room, do you want to lead the, you know, yes. Like I, I manipulated it to get the answer I wanted, which was I want to be a lion. And so, but I had people that were otters and beavers and they were just like, I don't want to be a beaver. And, and you read the description, and it's like golden retrievers don't create conflict. You know, they're great helpers. And kids are like, that don't, well, that's not me. I like conflict. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes I think when we're, we're on this journey to discover our spiritual gifts, we do the same thing. God says, um, I'm going to give you the gift of serving. And we're like, yeah, I don't really want that. That's not how we do this. So how do I discover my spiritual gift? Here, here's... here's my, my encouragement to you, you've got to be purposeful with people. Here's, I'm convinced of this. 
I'm convinced heaven will be filled with people who will die and never know their spiritual gift. And yet Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And you ask, how is that? It's because they served others. They were purposeful with people. The, these people you'll, you'll see in heaven, but you'll have to ask them, you know, who's your name? What'd you, so let me give you a head start because you will meet them. So this is for free. Um, Francis Asbury, he was in the 1700s. He lived with John Wesley. John Wesley is this, you know, big guy in, in Christendom. And John Wesley said to, to Francis Asbury, I want you to go to the Americas and I want you to start Methodism over there. And so John Wesley, John Wesley is the father of Methodists. And, and so he said, I want something to start over in America. And so Francis Asbury became one of, the first, one of the first bishops actually in America to put American Methodism on the map. And during his 45 years over here in this country, he never married, he never owned a home, he never owned more than one, more than one pair of clothes. Uh, he never had any kids. He spent over 300,000 miles traveling up and down the Atlantic seacoast, uh, preaching to people on horseback and carriage, often when he was radically ill, shouldn't even been on a horse, over 300,000 miles. He preached, it said he preached over 16,000 messages in those 45 years. Gladys Allward on your bottom left there, Gladys Allward left England in the early 1900s to go over to China just because she felt God was calling her over there. She didn't know anyone in China, didn't know how to speak Chinese, had no money, but landed in China. She ended up living in a village, tiny little village. It would take you two days by pack mules just to get up to the village where she eventually lived. Started an orphanage with another woman up there. It was war-torn during the early 1900s and Gladys Allward had to take children, she adopted five, had many more unofficial adopted kids. She took about a hundred orphans with no money, no clothing, uh, except what they were wearing, no resources, and, and traveled miles after miles after miles over treacherous terrain. She was shot at, she uh, contracted uh, typhoid fever. Why? All for the kingdom of God. Uh, George Lyle, George Lyle, is de they debate whether he was the first, but one of the first African-American missionaries sent from America on his own. He was actually a slave in the 1700s and then became an indentured servant by paying to have he and his wife and his kids go over to Jamaica and minister to Jamaicans over there. He actually preached to slaves over in Jamaica. And it's said that after his 30 years in Jamaica, which he came with no money, he had to, start, he had to learn how to farm just to support his family, uh, saved or was part of saving over 8,000 Jamaicans in, in the time of his ministry. And I share that with you just to say that I'll bet you when you meet these folks in heaven, not one of them will say, well, the reason I came to America, Greg, the reason I went to Jamaica or China was because I had the spiritual gift of whatever. Like I, I figured it out. I was a beaver. Plus I had the gift of mercy. So that's, what I, that's why. I, no one's going to say that. All three of them will say, God just told me to go. So I went. Well, what was the plan, George? What was the plan, Gladys? I didn't, I, there was no plan. In fact, there were many times where I looked up to God and said, God, what's the plan? And God said, like he said to Abraham, follow me. Do you trust me? And so God, I think, is saying the same thing for me and you today. Listen, I'm going to make some dangerous statements today. So here's the first one. Okay, ready? Serving is more important than serving in your giftedness. Serving Christ, serving the body of Christ is more important 
than serving out of your giftedness. How do I know that? A couple of examples. Acts chapter four, or Acts chapter six, verses one to four. This is when the apostles were trying to create the, the new church and they had to figure out structure and whatnot. Here's what they said. They said, they summoned the congregation and they said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Instead, brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge uh, of this task. We'll devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So, so the, the church was getting too big and the apostles came together and said, listen, we've got all these opportunities. We don't know how to handle it all. So here are the four qualifications. Men, um, good reputation, spirit-filled, wise. What, what we don't see is, hey, congregation, get together. Okay, here's what we need. I need three beavers. I need a couple otters. Give me a lion. No, he doesn't, they don't say that. But rather, he says, I just need people who are qualified this way, but are willing primarily just to serve. And I think that we miss it so often by getting late into the game of serving because we want to figure everything out ahead of time. I look at people like Bill and I look at him and I think, well, what gifts does he have? Well, we would all conclude probably gift of teaching, leadership. You look at Tina, she's our director of women's ministry, teaching, probably leadership. I look at Karen and Mary Ellen. By the way, Karen and Mary, they run this church. Bill thinks he runs the church. Right, Karen and Mary Ellen, right? It, nothing happens without them. We all know that. So what gifts do they have? Probably administration, uh, serving clearly. But then I look at Tucker, who was just up here. Now what spiritual gifts do you think Tucker Swan possesses? And before we say singing and, and playing guitar, those aren't spiritual gifts. Those are abilities, skill sets, they're talents that he acquired when he was young probably, put some effort into it, and now he's a great guitar player and great vocalist. That's not a spiritual gift. See, a spiritual gift is this natural ability that God has given me that when I'm not doing it, I feel kind of restless. But I don't have to like put an inordinate amount of effort into it. Uh, I need to hone it, but I... I desire it. And so I'm looking at Tucker thinking, well, what gift does he possess? And I look at, when I look at Bill, uh, Karen, Mary Ellen, um, you know, Tina, here's the point. The point is, I'll bet every one of them would say this, I just jumped into serving. And then through that, God started to maneuver and manifest my spiritual gift to where now I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. In other words, folks, my encouragement to us today is get on the bus. And then when I'm on the bus, God's going to say, I need you over in this seat. This seat's better, better for you. Um, we just, and this is by God's design, right? Dick is up here with Bill talking about retirement ministry. Did you hear, when you're listening to me now, are you filtering it through what just happened here? Six years ago, God said to Dick and a friend, go start a Bible study in a retirement home. That's it. Dick didn't need to say back to God, well, only if I have the spiritual gift of teaching and I need to, you know, equip, I need six otters and two, he didn't say any of that. God just said, go do it. And Dick said, okay. And then all of a sudden now, Bill, the guy who's that, got a teaching gift and a leadership gift says, hey, we should do a game day. Why? Because I believe Bill clearly has the gift of serving and of hospitality, and he just loves to do that. That's what he just loves to, when you're in the service, you know, before and after the service, Bill's up and down the aisles talking to people. Why? Because he has those spiritual gifts. 
He's at the gift of encouragement. And that's how ministry happens, folks. Ministry doesn't happen when we get down to, okay, this is my box and I gotta fill it with certain kinds of people. God says, no, just start serving and let me move the pieces. I was just down here after the 9.30 service and um, uh, Gail uh, Molinar came up to me. Gail's our organist. Like, she's an organist, right? That's what she does. That's what we all enjoy. That's, you know, her act of service. It's not a spiritual gift. It's an act of service. But Gail also runs our Engage, our, engage, our Enjoy Ministry. Do you know what the Enjoy Ministry is here? It's our um, uh, older seniors ministry, okay? Um, there's like a hundred, she said there's 180 or so, 150 to 180 people that come to the Enjoy Ministry. She runs it with another person, and out of that, 180 people, 130 people, um, she has 38 committees that help run the Enjoy Ministry. 38. And out of those 38 committees that run the Enjoy Ministry, about 96 people are involved with those 38 committees. And so out of 150 people, 96 are serving in the Enjoy Ministry. Does that make sense? The reason that the Enjoy Ministry exists isn't because of Gail, per se. It's because of 96 people that decided this is what, where I'm going to serve. And all of a sudden, God said, great, jump into serving now. Let me manifest your gifts. So I need a few of you over here and a few over here and two or three over here. And all of a sudden now, that thing is a machine that's well-oiled because people are serving out of their giftedness, but it started with them serving. So here's dangerous statement number two. If you don't know your gift, it may be because you're not serving enough. And let me just say this. I don't get paid to say this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. If you come to ACC, it's not the church's fault that you're not serving. How do I know that? Last week, they put this out in the bulletin. Do you see this? This is two pages in like a four font <laughs> of opportunities to serve. Two pages. There's over 75 names on these pages of people that have accepted the opportunity. And then there's a whole bunch of areas that, have, that are needing, needing people to help serve. And you say, well, Greg, I don't have the gift of like this, of teaching up in front of people. You know, I graduated from ASU a long time ago with a broadcasting degree, okay? And I haven't used that degree for nothing, like <laughs> other than to get other degrees, right? And I come to Andy Swan a couple months ago, and I said, Andy, if you guys have an, a need for your video ministry, it takes seven to 10 people every Sunday to pull off an online service. Camera people, directing, switching back there, editing, graphics, all this stuff, just, to, just so that if you're sick, you can stay home and watch it online. Seven to 10 people every Sunday. I said, if you have a need, I'd love to, I'd love to jump in. You know what Andy didn't say? Are you a beaver? Are you an otter? Like I'm looking for a lion otter mix. Like, he said, what's your email address? <laughs> and before you know it, I'm on, the, I'm on the schedule. And I'm back there, it's right behind that camera back there, there's a little room, it's soundproof, and we just flip switches and have a great old time. 
It's about, sir, about being purposeful with people. Watch this. I found this fascinating. You say to me, well, Greg, thanks for the information. I still don't know you. You haven't gotten me any further. I don't know what my spiritual gift is. And I'm saying, see, you're asking the wrong question. Do you know that the gifts on your left there are gifts that some people have? They actually have gifts of serving, exhortation, giving, teaching, showing mercy, faith, and evangelism. But did you know that we're all called to do those seven things? In other words, you and I are not going to get to heaven, guys, and we're going to say before Jesus, hey, Greg, when's the last time you shared your faith? Didn't have the gift. <laughs> so I'm, I'm good, Jesus, right? I didn't have the gift. Hey, Greg, when was the last time you gave? Didn't have the gift. See, I'm called to give. I'm called to serve. I'm called to share my faith. I'm called to teach. I'm called to walk by faith. I'm called. How come you weren't nice to people? Didn't have the gift. No, you have to be nice to people. That's a command for all of us. But then you get around people that have the gift of evangelism. You should hang out with those people. They look for like, it's those, it's those stories we hear where we think I could never do that. Probably because you don't have the gift. You're called to share your faith, but these people go like the extra mile. Why? Because it's natural for them. They cannot not do it. People that give and you're like, man, I wish I could give like you. You probably don't have the gift, but they do. So it's natural for them. And guess who benefits? You and me. That's who benefits. Do you ever read 1 Corinthians 12? The eye, the ear, the foot, the mouth, or whatever. That's what makes up the body. See, what we need to understand is, and I'm serious about this, if you're not serving the body, we're losing. I lose when you don't serve. That's how this works. That's how I'm not edified, I'm not growing if you don't serve. See, I'm responsible in part for your growth because I need to use my gifts where you're at in this body. So if I don't know what my gift is, you know, I might want to jump into a more serving. Here's the beauty. If you never find out what your gift is, but you do just those seven things, and then you pass on and go to heaven, I promise you, I promise you, Jesus will say, well done. But, but I never found out my gift. Yeah, but you did these things. Amen. And I wanted you to do those. And so many people were blessed because you did these things. Well done, enter into rest. So we start with the spirit. We're purposeful in edifying the body. But here's what I believe. I believe it's both and. I really do. Because God gave me a gift. I want to figure that out. I want to know what my gift is. Here's the definitions I like. Um, you can pick yours. Fawcett, he's a theologian, says the signs in the spirits continued efficacious presence in the church, which is Christ's body, the complement of his incarnation, the body, which is the complement of his head. If you don't know what a lot of those words are, like me, then move to the next definition. <laughs> Ministries are abilities that the Holy Spirit gives to Christians for the edification of the church. I like Gruden's, quite, Dr. Gruden. A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. He says any twice, and I like that. It's any ability that's empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. You want to discover your spiritual gift? Then be empowered by the Holy Spirit and use it in the church. And so here's the list. If you're looking for lists, you can take a picture of this if you want. Or just read Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, and Peter. And it will tell you, Paul says here, and Peter says, here are the lists. Here's the list. 
And so if you really want to know, like, you know, prophecy, serving, teaching, um, mercy, leadership, uh, faith, um, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, like, those are all gifts that the Spirit has given to you and to me. Some, pe- some other people actually add, which I'm fine with, celibacy, hospitality, martyrdom, missionary, voluntary, poverty, intercession, prayer, writing. Those could also be spiritual gifts. Some people have also added craftsmanship out of the Old Testament, um, architecture out of the Old Testament. I mean, you can go on and on. But we're back to Grudem's definition, which is any ability that's empowered by the Holy Spirit and used, the verb used, in any ministry of the church. I will say this. Voluntary poverty, by the way, if you parent a late teen or someone in their early 20s and they claim poverty as one of their gifts just because they like sitting around, that's probably not their spiritual gift. Um, we need to be sure that we have the spiritual gift. Well, how do we do that? We, we, it's a both and. I jump in, I start serving, and then God starts to manifest. Here's where I, here's where I really want you. And all of a sudden, it just feels natural. Uh, I like what Peter said in 1 Peter, because this, to me, boils it down to two very simple groups. Here we go. As each one has received a special gift... We just talked about that. Employ at house. Serve one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God or speak. And when you do, uh, speak as the one who is speaking the actual words of God. If you serve, serve as one who is serving by the strength of God so that in all things God may be glorified through Christ to whom belongs belongs all the glory, dominion forever and ever. So in other words, Peter says, listen, let me just boil it down to two groups, speaking and serving that I think that you could really, like, I don't know if, if, if this is my gift or that. Just ask yourself two questions. Does, does this, is this your wheelhouse? If I were to say, hey, we need someone to start a Bible study over in this sector, over with this genre, over with this group of people. If I need someone to speak to a group of people, if I need someone to stand up and lead a group of people, which often includes communicating with people, whether it's written communication or verbal or oral communication, does that feel like, are you good with that? I'm not talking about, I went to a bunch of, um, you know, conferences and learned how to do it. I'm talking about, I just, there's something about it that just is affirming to me. And that's not a prideful thing. That just says, yeah, I think that that's, well, you probably have speaking gifts. And then there's a number of us that say, you know, this isn't, that's not my thing. And here's the problem, quite honestly. We have built the church primarily around this, that you're the ones who get all the accolades, you're the ones who get all the fanfare, you're the ones, and we need to do such a better job of saying the serving, the speaking gifts rarely happen without the serving gifts. And the serving gifts are just as important as the speaking gifts. And let's be honest, if this isn't your thing, probably you have gifts of discernment or wisdom or serving or mercy. You know how powerful it is to show up at someone's house with, with a, a bowl or a dish of something and, and minister to them in their times of pain and grief? You know how important it is to ring the bell of mercy? You know how important it is to have gifts like faith and just say, we can do this, let's go for it. Well, we need someone to do this. Well, that's not me, great, let someone else do it. We come together and we encourage one another by serving out of the giftedness that God has given us. Now, you'll notice in this, I have some um, 
circled ones. And I saved this to the very end because this is where the controversy is had with gifts. And I thought, maybe I'll just run out of time so I don't have to address it. But I do have a few minutes. So here we go. These are what we call the sign gifts. These are the ones that include speaking in tongues and gifts of prophecy, gifts of healing, uh, gifts of miracles, or performing miracles. There are three views that I, I would encourage you to take when you look at these spiritual gifts. This will help alleviate some of the controversy. Some of us believe that the gifts continue today. We're called continuists. Some of us believe that the gifts have ceased after the birth of the church and we're called cessationists. And then some of us believe that I'm not really sure, I'm cautious because I've seen some abuse of gifts, but I'm open to considering. If I am a continuist, I lean on passages like 1 Corinthians 18, where Paul says in the highlighted sections, for we know it in part, we, uh, for we know in part and prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. And then drop down to verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I, do, uh, as I have also been fully known. And the reason continuists believe the gifts, the sign gifts still are in, act, uh, in active today are active today is because what they see as the, the mirror dimly and uh, when the perfect comes is when Jesus returns. That Jesus is coming back to earth to rapture the church is his indication that the gifts are now fulfilled. Until then, use them up. If I'm a cessationist, I will lean on 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul says, so then, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. And the point there for cessationists is, listen, when Jesus was healing people, do you know that Jesus did not come to heal people? Right? He even says that. They were like, why don't you do this all the time? And he says, because my job wasn't to heal you physically, but spiritually. The physical healing was just a, a, a manifestation of who I really am. It's a crowd gatherer. So he gave that gift to the apostles as well. Go out and heal people. Take demons out of people. But their point was to get a crowd so they could preach the gospel. So what cessationists believe is when we talk about the gifts edifying the church, that does not include unbelievers. And this passage says, well, that's a sign for unbelievers. Therefore, it has ceased, has no more use for today. And then people who are cautious but open may refer back to 1 Corinthians 12 where it says, uh, Paul says, but one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. And what, if you read this text above it, what you'll notice is all of the text above it refers in part to sign gifts, prophecy and miracles and healing. And so, so, so people that are cautious but open typically say, listen, I've heard way too many stories of people using gifts that you just referred to, and I can't deny the fact that they use those gifts. I've heard missionaries come back from overseas saying, no, those gifts are alive and well. The problem is we have a healthy dose of misuse of those gifts, and that's what kind of sours the whole conversation. And, and what I mean by that is simply this. Um, you look at that first, how to use my gifts, it conforms to biblical teaching. We see some gifts that are used, that we call sign gifts, that aren't used, that conform, that are used in a way that doesn't conform to biblical teaching. And I would just go so far as to suggest this, if you use a gift 
And the purpose that probably only you and the Holy Spirit know is that you want to be recognized, that you want to be glorified, that you want your name in the, in the lights. You're abusing, at the very least you're abusing a gift, probably don't even have that gift. Spiritual gifts were never meant for your glorification or your edification. They were meant for your act of service so that I could be edified and God could be glorified. Um, how do you want to know your gifts? If we affirm your gift. Do you, do you ever get around someone that, that I, I can sing and you get around them and you're like, no, you cannot. Right? And so, so how, do, how do you want to know your gift? Let me tell you what your gift is. Get into serving. Get into edifying the body. And then let the body tell you, you are really, really good at this. You serve like no one. You have mercy. Like, I can't, your faith is just, uh, you probably have those gifts. Thirdly, uh, be in agreement with the body at the Holy Spirit. He's the one at work. He gets the glory. The Holy, Spir Holy Spirit provides peace in our spirits as we offer our gifts. And then finally, there's evidence of godly fruit in the body. That when I show up and I do what I'm called to do, that the body grows in their faith. This is why heaven is going to blow our minds. If you're not excited about heaven, Heaven will blow our minds because heaven lasts forever because it will, it, take, it will take that long to get this many stories out. Where people will approach you and say, because you had the gift of mercy and used it, I grew in my faith. Because you had the gift of, of administration and could organize and manage things, I grew in my faith. Thank you. And we will just dump that praise upward to God and say, God, thank you. That's how the body of Christ works. And, and so, so two things as we close, we've got to use our, our gifts to edify the church and glorify God. But here is what is so super cool. Do you know that every passage that Paul speaks of the gifts, he always follows it up with this action of love. That the reason I use my gifts and the way I use it, guys, if it is not bathed in love, we're not doing it right. And this is agape love. This is this unconditional love. In, in Romans chapter 12, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he follows with the whole love chapter. And then in Ephesians chapter four, speaking the truth in love, uh, what I do causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Which leads A.R. Fawcett to say this, I need to prove God no further. I don't need to prove God any further than watching someone use their spiritual gift. That when we do it effectively, when we do it right, when we do it the way that God and the Bible has designed it, that the outside world, the inside world, they ever all look at that and say, it makes sense. And the beauty of it is, is that I don't need to have it all figured out before it makes sense. I just need to be purposeful with people. Give the Holy Spirit the credit, be purposeful with people. And then as I'm serving, continue to ask God, God, where can I best serve so that the church gets the best version of me. We did, we did a, a, a funeral here last week. I was standing right up here. Uh, a good friend, co-worker of mine uh, passed away, Marty Smith. And, and as we're up here talking, Marty was our facilities director. He could build anything, construct anything. His hands were all calloused. Like he was, he was just that kind of a guy. Spent his whole life just building and fixing and HVACs and all that kind of stuff. 
And all we did for 45 minutes was talk about Marty's spiritual gifts, serving and hospitality. He was a phenomenal construction guy, phenomenal at building, phenomenal at making, but Marty served well and he was just unbelievably hospitable. To the degree, on Marty's birthday, every year that I knew him for his birthday, instead of us coming to him, he would go to the school and he would make pancakes for everyone else on his birthday. In fact, he was in, when he contracted cancer, he was in angst that he, one of his birthdays, he couldn't do it. He had the spiritual gift of serving and hospitality and it bothered him that he couldn't come serve us while he was struggling with cancer on his birthday. So we just spent 45 minutes talking about that. And I know that when Marty passed away, Jesus met him with open arms saying, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. May we do the same edifying the body so that the body and the world will know there is a God and he more than exists. He loves you, he cares for you, he died for you, and now he's gifted you to be purposeful this side of heaven. Let's be about that business. 